0: Before enjoying this episode about haunted asylums, I wanted to remind you that you can hear the full interview with both of these guests by becoming a supporter through Patreon. You will also gain access to other bonus content as each new episode is released. Thanks for considering the support, and enjoy this episode. Some refer to it as the Death Chute, others simply call it the Body Tunnel, and both names are suitable. For very good reasons. The angled concrete slope beneath the earth is where the bodies of patients who had succumbed to tuberculosis were transported from their rooms on the third and fourth floor patient quarters. Waiting for them at the bottom were hearses and vans, far away from the peering eyes of the surviving residents. As Eric Vanderland sat in that notorious death chute, surrounded by darkness and silence, he waited and listened patiently for some sign that the spirits of those who once called Waverly Hills Sanatorium home were still present. Within moments, Eric got exactly what he was hoping for when he heard a loud, deep gasp for breath right next to his ear. His closest colleague was at least 500 feet away. I'm Steve Blanchard. Welcome to Phantom History. sanatoriums are notoriously haunted by what many believe are the tortured souls of the one-time patients who suffered so dramatically at the hands of others some believe those caring for the ill or disabled were doing the best they could with the technology made available to them others they say simply enjoyed being in control of others who couldn't fend for themselves waverly hills sanatorium outside louisville kentucky and Pennhurst State School in Spring City, Pennsylvania, are just two of the many institutions in the United States with a troubling past and a very haunted present. Despite having its doors shuttered more than 40 years ago, the state of the Waverly Hills Institution is still immaculate, considering its complicated and long history. Eric Vanderland, team leader for War Party Paranormal, an investigative team out of South Florida, was surprised at the building's condition when he and his team investigated it in the spring of 2021.
1: It's one of the cleanest places I've ever been to. It's very tidy. It looks old, but they take really good care of it. Like you can almost eat off the floor. Like it's, I mean, there's no dust, there's no dirt. I mean, everything looks old, but it's clean. They keep it very tidy all throughout the building. It almost, like, the vibe you feel there, like, it's not, like, menacing. It's more, like, sadness to me.
0: Waverly Hills opened in 1926 as a hospital to treat tuberculosis patients of all ages just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. Pinhurst State School and Hospital was constructed nearly two decades earlier as a place to keep the, quote, feeble-minded and epileptic people of the state. Its structure hasn't fared as well as Waverly Hills over the years, and many of the original buildings have been destroyed. That may be for the best, according to Marty Siebel, director and founder of Black Raven Paranormal, based in Stanton, Virginia.
2: It's one of the worst of the worst. It was actually shut down in 1988 for neglect, abuse, just cruelty. It was overcrowded short-staffed. You had kids lying in cribs, six, five and six years old, couldn't walk. It was for all ages. So it started out with, with just children, but after a short period of time, and this was established in the early 1900s. It started out with good intentions to take on children, but eventually they got overcrowded and then they were taking in anybody, inmates, adults, you name it, and they got overcrowded. And then you got abuse that comes in because some of the people that work there, they, they can treat anybody anyway and get away with it. And basically they did for a long time. They had a history of abuse all the way up to the time they closed.
0: While both Waverly Hills and Penhurst were constructed for different reasons, both share a very similar history. Both were built with the intent of keeping those who resided within away from the public and out of eyesight. At its peak, Waverly Hills could accommodate more than 400 patients, and it was considered one of the most well-equipped and modern tuberculosis hospitals in the country. That was until a tuberculosis cure was discovered in 1961, and the facility quickly became obsolete. But the Gothic-style building wasn't done housing patients. It reopened a year later in 1962 as the Woodhaven Medical Services Building, a nursing home. That geriatric facility was closed by the state in 1981. Pennhurst was created by the Pennsylvania legislature shortly after the turn of the 20th century and was required to accommodate no fewer than 500 inmates or patients with plenty of room for additions. Residents were classified into mental categories of imbecile or insane, into physical categories of epileptic or healthy, and into dental categories of good, poor, or treated teeth when admitted. Within four years of operation, Penhurst was already overcrowded and under pressure to admit immigrants, orphans, and criminals. Some estimate that more than 5,000 died while under the care of the staff at Pennhurst. Records for Waverly Hills chronicle more than 50,000 deaths. It's no wonder both are major locations for paranormal investigations.
1: The one section of Waverly Hills is open to the part where like, you know, it's all run down. Um, They have the patient rooms, but then there's another section where it's all updated and there's like offices, there's lounges, there's bathrooms, um, there's electricity and you go through these double doors. So it was weird, we were like going through the walkthrough and and I'm looking at these double doors and they have like the little windows um, in the doors and I see like a, like a figure of a head, like someone's like peeking through the window and I'm like, that's weird. So I start walking closer towards the door and there was no one there. And there was um, brown paper covering the window. So there couldn't have been a head there. So I thought that was weird. So I saw like a shape of a head, like almost like peeking through the window.
0: The renovated and more modern sections of the building have been restored since new owners took over the property in 2001. Around that same time, the Waverly Hills Historical Society began its preservation efforts, which is why the building is so clean even in the areas untouched by modern conveniences. According to Eric, electricity is used sparingly and the second, third, fourth, and fifth floors remain in the dark. But the War Party Paranormal Team still heard activity they just couldn't explain.
1: I heard a bell, and I'm like, where did that bell come from? And I'm walking around, I couldn't find anything, and I was talking to one of the people there, and they're like, oh yeah, because the elevators there aren't or haven't been working in years, and they don't work. There's one elevator, and it goes through each of the floors all the way up. Every now and then we'll hear the elevator doors open, and you'll hear that bell go off. So that that was really odd. And it was like clear as day.
0: That defunct elevator likely saw many souls pass through its doors, both as a vehicle to transport tuberculosis patients and later, the elderly. Before the team even knew that the sounds of a functioning elevator, despite the lack of electricity, was par for the course in the building, investigators caught signs of activity near those elevator doors with their technology.
1: The one thing I did get was I was getting a lot of EMF and static. Um, I have a device called a melmeter that measures electromagnetic frequency, and also has an antenna, and that antenna builds a field of static, so if anything breaks that field of static, It'll alarm with lights and noise. Um, that thing was going off like crazy in that area.
0: While the Melmeter was helpful to Eric and his team, he didn't need any equipment to quickly learn that something, something he couldn't see, accompanied him to what is likely the most famous area of Waverly Hills Sanatorium, the Body Chute. The Body Chute, or Death Tunnel, as some call it, is a sloped concrete pathway that leads from the towering, menacing building 525 feet down to the bottom of a hill. There, the patients who had succumbed to tuberculosis and complications from the disease would await transportation to grave sites and crematoriums, far out of the eyesight of patients and staff still housed within. Paranormal investigators often report findings in the darkened tunnel, and War Party Paranormal was no exception
1: disembodied voice um, we were getting EVPs someone breathing in my ear I mean I got to spend time in the death tunnel with me and my partner alone with nobody in there he was all the way on the bottom and I was like halfway towards the top and we, at one point we were just sitting there just quiet trying to see if we could you know see hear anything try to feel out the vibe I was hearing things like live like disembodied voices. I had someone breathe in my ear and I'm sitting there by myself. So like, that's pretty amazing. That's probably like the, the only disembodied voice I got there. And I don't get, I, don't, I haven't experienced too many disembodied voices during my investigation, but it was, it was pretty freaky. And we just got some EVPs where we were asking questions correlating to like times there and we were getting intelligent responses. I remember the one that stuck out in my head was, I asked, what are you still doing here? And the response I got was, I'm looking for my mother.
0: Sadly, children were a large part of the clientele at Waverly Hills Sanatorium, and death records show children as young as one month old died from tuberculosis while at the facility. Children played a big part in the history of Pinhurst Asylum as well, and Marty and his team from Virginia caught plenty of evidence that some of those children and some of the other occupants, just might still be present.
2: We were in the basement, her and I had this one investigator working and we're in an area of children's room. And it's just the two of us on that floor, because when I ran the investigation, two people per floor. So we're down there alone and we're in this room, this children's room, and she's sitting on the floor and I'm standing and we're doing an audio session. And I've got a camera, a video camera on a trigger object. I brought a voice activated dial down there. So where if you do not voice active, but a touch activated, where if you get close, she touches dial, it triggers it and it goes off. And so I put a video camera on it. And her and I are over from it and we're standing there. Or I'm standing there. She's sitting and we're doing an audio session. You know, the little rubber balls, you can, super balls you can get out of a gum machine. I kid you not, one comes bouncing right between us and stops like right between us. And I'm just looking, like, where the hell did that come from?
0: That ball seemed to be a direct form of communication, Marty believes, and it could possibly be the only way that particular spirit could make itself known. Those who resided at Penhurst, remember, were not communicative in life and had physical and mental disadvantages. Could it be possible that those same disabilities followed these former residents beyond the veil? The evidence caught by Black Raven Paranormal seems to point to that very sad truth. The investigators heard voices and noises in real time, and, upon further review after their stay at Penhurst, they picked up a few very clear phrases. One in particular stands out to Marty.
2: We did get some really good EVPs that I didn't hear in real time, and one was of a woman say, saying, um, all I want is send them home. It's a very clear whisper.
0: Other voices both recorded and heard in real-time, were much less clear at Penhurst.
2: It was almost like someone couldn't really communicate. You'd hear like a, uh, uh, uh. I had a medium with me at the time and she said she was picking up on. she says they're not really interactive they're just kind of rocking and just doing their thing and and we did we got a lot of those recorded almost like you'd hear a female or a child. And like, uh, uh, uh just a grunt or kind of a whine or a sigh or something like that. Now, when we did get home, and I, of course we, I like to get on the audio and evaluate it right away. I'll go someplace quiet and listen to everything. We did get some really good EVPs that I didn't hear in real time.
0: What is it, exactly, that makes places like Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Kentucky and Penhurst Asylum in Pennsylvania so haunted? Both facilities were built with the intent to help those who were unable to take care of themselves whether because of disease or mental and physical disabilities. Both locations, it seems, had good intentions, yet both were forced to close after truths about their care were exposed to the public. Both Eric and Marty have their theories about the hauntings of these locations, and both seem to directly connect to what those souls experienced in life and what they seem to cling on to in death. Eric believes that the trauma tuberculosis patients experienced at Waverly Hills has a direct tie into why so many spirits still linger in the building.
1: Trauma, like maybe they passed away too soon, maybe they weren't ready to go yet, and they're still stuck there. Um, The thing is with the afterlife and spirits, it's really hard. Nobody's an expert in this field, and and no one ever will be until they die and go to the other side, right?
0: Knowing that the spirits of those who were so mistreated in life could be trapped in the same space, even in death, makes Marty uncomfortable. But trauma, he says, is powerful. It can hang onto our souls long after our bodies stop breathing.
2: I I think more of it's just a situation of some of the experience they went through, some of the trauma. And basically, to me, it's almost like they're trapped there. And I hate to, you know, I hate to see that. I mean, I hate that that somebody's trapped or stuck in an environment like that. But that would be my, you know, I think so much with the trauma, anything from the way they were treated and abused to some of the the practices that were done back then, you know, electric shock therapy, lobotomy, stuff like that. Even insulin, induced comas, hydrotherapy, we talk about all that. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, you know, we know stories that at Penhurst, if a patient bit someone, uh, they were warned one time, and after that, if they bit another patient or anybody else, they had their teeth pulled. And if need be, all of them. You know, stuff like that. There were sexual things with, between staff and stuff that abused patients that, you know, I can get away with it because nobody's going to believe so-and-so. Pennhurst was specifically designed to be out in the way so you didn't know what was there to keep these people out of view and away from the public. And the perception with it.
0: During life, many patients in facilities like Waverly Hills and Penhurst never got a chance to have their stories fully told. Perhaps those souls still lingering simply want to remind us that they were here, that they lived, and that their experiences are still impacting them, even in death. Thank you to Marty Siebel of Black Raven Paranormal in Virginia and Eric Vanderland of War Party Paranormal in Florida for taking time to share their experiences and investigations with me for this episode. Music for this episode is provided by Shane Ivers of Silverman Sound Studios. Remember, you can follow Phantom History on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok and stay up to date on new releases and locations for future episodes. And remember, you can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon supporter, where you will gain access to bonus content, full interviews, and more. Please consider giving Phantom History a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you use. And as always, thank you for listening.